Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. So do you fix and flip houses or invest in real estate or just want to get started doing so? Well, Alpha Funding has you covered with fast, flexible, and reliable service and rates starting as low as 8.99%. Fast closings, no tax documentation or bank statements required, no prepayment penalties, seasoning or minimum draw requirements. Alpha Funding, the softer side of hard money. To get yourself pre-approved today, go to alphafunding.com or call 732-657-2014. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. Happy Wednesday. Thanks for checking back in with us. Super excited for today's guest, Anna Myers. Hi, Anna. How are you? Hello. I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here with you. Good. And super excited to have you. And here's a little bit more about Anna. She serves as vice president at Grow Capitus, a commercial real estate investment company in the San Francisco Bay Area. Anna is a modern entrepreneur who applies her 20 plus years of experience in technology and business to finding, analyzing, acquiring, and asset managing commercial properties in key markets across the U.S. Together with her business partner, Neil Bawa. And if you remember, we had Neil on the show. Um, it's about 120 episodes ago. You have to search for it, but wow. it was an awesome episode. Um, they approved Approach real estate through a data science lens to create compelling profits for a thousand plus investors. So, Anna, we're excited to have you, and we have so much you've done. Twenty plus years of experience. What well, was twenty plus years of experience in business, which speaks for a lot, right? So, sure. So, in in real estate, it's a very multifaceted industry, um, and um, so my my beginnings actually is is I'm the third generation commercial real estate entrepreneurs. My, my grandfather was a commercial real estate maverick in Southern California. He actually began his real estate career by flipping houses in Southern California in the 40s. And he is just a go get them type person. And then he built up this portfolio and, and amassed a very large portfolio. He started eventually buying orange groves and walnut groves and building shopping malls. So he became an all out developer. So my, the fabric of my life is just growing up with this large commercial real estate portfolio that my dad and his brothers helped manage. My father's also an architect and a developer, but I didn't go into commercial real estate as a, you know, as I was coming out, I actually went into the tech world. So I went into, uh, I became a programmer and a, a systems analyst and um, had a, a many years in, in tech. Um, but I always knew the power of real estate because that's the foundation of my family. Um, so when when my paycheck uh, started really getting deteriorated by taxes, I turned to real estate to solve that problem. So with your grandfather, can you recall one piece of advice that really stood out from you, from him just building up his legacy? Uh, well, I, I have to say that I, I was four when he passed. I'm the youngest grandchild, and he died fairly young. But one thing that was always passed on is uh, – it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Hmm. So we have a lot of strategies that are just very normal in my family for how to navigate, um, not just acquiring real estate, but navigate the tax structures and the deal structures so that you know, it's structured in a favorable way. There's lots of loopholes and, and areas within the tax code that are very favorable to uh, real estate investors. Um, you know, I've already done seven 1031s, uh, which all started from acquiring um, from, from stuff, things that were passed down to me from my grandfather's estate that basically required me to jump in and 1031. So I'm not one of those people 
that are afraid of 1031s, I'm like, oh yeah, time to 1031, baby. You know? Yeah, I love <laughs> it. Lots it of different flavors of 1031 too. So, um, so building wealth through their, those very specific tools is a, is a great way for yourself and your future generations. And that's one of, the, I really appreciate the wealth that he built creating a foundation, not only for all of the grandchildren to be able to go to college, which was very important to him, but he also, you know, obviously he's been gone a long time, but he also cared about the community. So there is a charitable trust that he's been gone for decades, but will go on forever. That is basically all of the income from that just gets divided yearly amongst the, the charitable, the, the charities that my family chooses. And that I think speaks a lot to the power of real estate too. Not just to build, not just to support our families, but to support our communities. Once you reach that level, we all have a responsibility to give back. Yeah, and if you think about that, and you just look at that in the broad spectrum, I mean, that's what it's all about, right? You you do as well as you can, create for your family, and then create for others. And you, you, yeah. I mean, generations going to go by, right? So, like you said, you know, your grandfather passed when you were four. I mean, hundred years from now, it's still going to be what he's built, and that's just incredible. Yeah. Your, did your father and uh, the brothers they they stay in the same space, or have they transcended to a different area? Oh, and, so yeah, my father and my uncles. No, they uncles, all they were they were all in in. Um, commercial real estate construction development I mean all of them were firmly in, in, entrenched in that their their whole lives um, my brother my oldest brother is actually an architect as well and and all of us kids there's I have um, seven siblings and all five biological and two-step all of us have um, dabbled in real estate because we all inherited so by that by inheriting uh, real estate and the responsibility to, to get out there and do a 1031 you go out and you get busy you know but we didn't have all these podcasts and all these wonderful um, educational opportunities that we have now. So when I had to um, get into it and invest in the early 2000s, um, you know, I certainly made a lot of mistakes. It was a difficult market to invest in. Uh, you know, I've gone through a short sale. I've gone through a very bad land, land um, acquisition process where the um, real estate broker who was uh, helping me ended up being a fraud and is actually in jail now, not just because of my situation, but everything he was doing to everybody else. So I definitely learned a lot of hard lessons, um, ups and downs. Um, and that's when I was working with smaller properties. But now that I've scaled to commercial properties and have like some, some legs underneath me, I feel really confident about where I am in the commercial real estate space. Yeah. And it's also the resilience that, that you're put forth there, right? Cause you could have yeah. just said, Oh yeah, I had the short sale. I'm done. It's real estate doesn't work. You know, work for my, my grandpa. It's a different era now, you know, work for my dad's a different era. Now I'm done. I'm just, I'm not gonna, but you, you see it through and you learn from your mistakes. And I think people are worried about that, that mistake that could happen, could potentially happen, but you set yourself up best you can market dynamics. There's many things that are outside your control that of course yeah. couldn't, predict, you know, could make the project turn out different than what you anticipated, but you have to hang in there because ultimately, if you look at it for the course of history, it's, it, it continues to be the way that people really accelerate their wealth and their growth and really be able to give back. So you went from tech into, into real estate. What was the advantages you were able to use from the tech space that maybe the average investor who, who jumps into the commercial space is missing? Um, so I've always been a very analytical person and it's always been about the numbers for me. And I say those, those earlier mistakes that I made were that I, I didn't understand how to run the numbers as well. And I didn't, I didn't understand how to search for markets as well. Hmm. Um, I live in California. So all of my investing other than my primary home has always been out of state. So that's always been a huge challenge for me to figure out 
how do I figure out the best market and how do I know where to invest? Um, so, um, what I've learned from the tech industry is, you know, numbers, numbers, numbers. I'm like the spreadsheet queen. And then a few years ago, I saw Neil Bawa speaking on stage about real estate trends. And I was like, this guy, I really get this guy. Like what he's saying makes so much sense to me. Uh, I eventually took a boot camp with him and through that boot camp, started volunteering. Uh, he asked for volunteers for so, uh, to actually to write a deal analyzer. So I started volunteering and working more closely with him as a volunteer and you know, became at this point, I'm his business partner. So we definitely, our paths really clicked. Um, and with both of us having a tech focus and the way he thinks about, about uh, applying data science to real estate just is a perfect match for the way I think. And I'm able to help him execute spreadsheets and execute um, uh, experiments. We're always experimenting and bringing data science into what we do. It's all about data driven numbers, you know, experience and just proving it all out, you know, from the market standpoint, from the neighborhood standpoint, from the acquisition standpoint. So there's numbers through everything. And, and we also bring that into how we asset manage, because once you buy a property, it's not game over it's game again. And so numbers help us there. And we, we have lots of ways that we look at the performance of the property and lots of, of things that we do from a technology standpoint, not just analyzing, but using technology to increase our leads, to increase all kinds of efficiencies that we bring through technology. So I, I think it's, it's kind of a superpower we have. Yeah, it sure is. And, you know, and, and you're right, the numbers don't lie. You, you, get, you get the numbers, you get in there, they do not lie. And for investors who maybe are, are inexperienced on the underwriting side, maybe on, on the market or on the property, what are, what are some of the common mistakes that you see investors make um, through that underwriting process? Well, from the market perspective, let's, let's start there. Sure. Um, I think that, that um, oftentimes people, uh, especially newer investors who hear about this, you know, 2% rule or 1% rule, whatever the, the rule is these days, because the market's changing, right? They're so focused on the 1% rule or the 1.5% rule. They're not understanding the market they're investing in and the neighborhood they're investing in. So if you're able to get, let's just say 2%, people are like so excited, like, I, got, I found a 2% deal. This is amazing. Well, um, do you think you're actually going to get that cash flow? Let's, let's double check. So first of all, you need to look at the market. How strong is the market fundamentals? Is it losing population? Are there new jobs coming in? The market has to support your asset. And, and we all know a recession's coming eventually. I mean, that's, you know, I don't know when it's going to come, but it's coming. The market will have a downturn. Does your market support the neighborhood, is there room for the market to go down without you losing tenants, without tenants being driven out of your, your market because they can't afford to live there, there's no jobs, right? So that's the first thing. And then the neighborhood that you're located in, you need to dig into the neighborhood and understand key demographics such as, and I'm talking about the micro neighborhood, so like sure. the, the, you know, the three or four blocks around it. Um, what is the poverty level? What is the unemployment level? And uh, what is the median household income level? Okay, these three things, if you understand what those are, then you're gonna be able to determine, will my tenant be able to pay me rent 12 months out of the year, hmm. right? So, so our, our, what the numbers we look for for median household income, for example, is $40,000. That's our, that's our you know, cutoff point. It could yep. be, you know, sometimes it might be, 37, 38, and then we'll look at the neighborhood right next to it, maybe a couple blocks away, it's 42. So we're like, okay. Or we could look at the median household income and see that it's, 
it's 35, but you look at the demographic and you see 25% of the, the neighborhood is students, is college students. So you, you, you have to look at it and understand the context um, for what it is. And that also, obviously, if there's a lot of students, that might also impact the employment um, numbers that you're seeing. Um, but all of these things are very critical to understand where you're investing and what is the, the potential of, of the market supporting you and getting paid 12 months rent out of the year. Because it's very expensive when, you're, when your tenants can't afford to pay you rent and you have to evict, what, first of all, what is the eviction laws in your market? You need to understand yeah. that and how long they can potentially live there in your unit without paying you rent. What is the cost of getting them out, right? Some, some cities and counties are much better than others. So in some states, I should say, landlord-friendly states, and then within the state, which counties uh, work faster? I'll give you an example. We're in Georgia. We have three different, uh, we have two in Atlanta and one in Dalton, Georgia. These are all apartment buildings, value-add apartment buildings. And the two in Georgia, and sorry, in Atlanta are in DeKalb County. And the one in Dalton, I honestly, I can't remember the exact county it's in, but it's far enough away that it's a different county. So same state, same eviction laws. But if we need to do an eviction in DeKalb, it takes 30, 90 days hmm. between the start of filing eviction to when the sheriff actually gets out there and removes them from the, the premises, okay? If they play the game that long. In Dalton, Georgia, it's like two weeks. Hmm. So again, you can't just say, oh, I'm in a landlord-friendly state. Look into the county. Find out what, what the county is because that's 90 days of lost rent. You know? yeah, and, and you talked to so many key points right there, but that, that's exactly right. And you, you just mentioned, you know, just because the state is tenant friendly doesn't mean that everybody's going to move on the same pace. Every department is fully funded yeah. and has the available resources to be able to do it. And when you look yeah. at that from the capacity of it, your biggest, your biggest cost is really just having the downtime when the tenant's going out, you have to turn the property and now you have to lease and get it back up. And if you're going to find that you're going to be doing this in a downturn, you know, what's your stress test? What, what can you do with rent growth? What, what, if you're at negative rent growth, is that going to sustain? And can you afford just to not really be pushing rents and hopefully can your tenants afford just to stay in there? I mean, just absolutely great points. And the 40 K medium, um, income for that are you basing that again now of course on what available house sales are around there too is that a key point for you um available house sales we do look at, at house what the houses are worth around there but remember we're commercial real estate so we're apartment buildings so you know what I mean we're looking at it what we want to see related to housing is we want to see an increase in the cost the the appreciation of housing between the year 2000 and the year 2016 we want, depending on what market, I think it's 20% appreciation is what we're looking for in that space. Um, so yes, we do look at it because we want a, a market that's, um, that is appreciating for sure. Um, so that is, that is a big one. Um, I'm just double checking. Oh, no, it's 40%. Median house or condo value between 2000 and 2016. If we're using citydata.com, you want to have 40% appreciation in mm. the median house or condo value. If you've got that, you've got a city on the move. Yeah, that's great points. Yeah, we'll look at it from sometimes from a, a standpoint of, you know, it, can our tenant jump out because houses are so cheap and, and get into a house right in the area because houses are so neglected? And that's probably not the area we want to be in, especially if we're going to be in an area with less than $40,000 medium household income. Ideally, it just may not warrant the best tenant either, unfortunately. You know, you may have more crime and other data points. They can't afford, if you're in an area where the median household income is 28K, 
they can't afford to pay you rent 12 months out of the year. I mean, let's not hold it against them. But, you know, the, the, the numbers are right there. So it's, it, by, by using specific tools, you can simply choose a different neighborhood. I'm not saying you have to go to an entirely different market, but mm. you need to understand your micro neighborhood when you're looking at your assets so that you are best positioned to actually receive the income that your underwriting says the projections that you're saying are, are true, are, are more likely to happen, I, I should say. Love it. And, and how is your underwriting now best being used to safeguard to the best of your ability a, a correction at some point? Alpha Funding Solutions offers creative financing tailored to your individual needs. Whether you're fixing and flipping distressed properties or building ground-up construction, Alpha offers flexible financing to get the job done. With no minimum draw requirements, no prepay penalties, and no seasoning requirements, borrowers can create a construction loan that best suits their individual needs. Everything at Alpha is done in-house from the sales force to underwriting, construction management, and draw payouts. The team at Alpha works as a unit to best serve their happy family of over 1,000 borrowers. Experience the alpha difference today. Visit www.alphafunding.com or call 732-657-2014. Again, that's alphafunding.com and the number is 732-657-2014. There's nothing to lose and everything to gain. Alpha Funding Solutions, the softer side of hard money. Well, you know, we always try and have uh, some cons conservative projections. So the way that we're projecting rents, uh, rent and growth, the way that we're projecting expenses, um, these types of items, we always try and have some additional working capital. So, um, but I also want to go back to, and I know I'm, I'm always talking about the market, but certain markets are going to just fare a lot better. Not all markets are equal in where they are in the recovery process. So it's not a given that the entire United States is going to experience a recession in the same way. We didn't experience it the same way last time. If you look at Dallas, they hardly had any downturn in their housing versus in, in the 2008, 2010. Look at their trend lines. It's remarkable. It's like you can't even tell a recession happened when you look at some of the metrics for Dallas. But look at Vegas, how hard Vegas got hit. And again, what does it come down to? Market fundamentals is definitely a big part of it. So that is part of safeguarding your underwriting is starting with a strong underlying market that's mm -hmm. got jobs and, and population and you know, it's got those things going for it. We, we try to find markets where we feel there's you know, five, five or 10 years growth going into it. And then uh, like for example, there's a market called St. George, Utah that we're very, very enamored with. We like Utah overall, first of all, we're big fans of Utah. And uh, St. George is one of the fastest growing cities. In fact, it is, according to which quarter you're looking at it for the past few years, it's the fastest growing city in the US. Hmm. And that's not gonna stop anytime soon. The vacancy rate, if you're looking for a, a vacancy in that area, is 2%. Wow. 2%. Yeah. And if you do, we've had an actual market study done because we're, we're building, it's a new construction pro project that we've got. So we did a market feasibility study by the leading person in, the, in that state for market feasibility studies, they actually found that the actual vacancy was 0.8%. Hmm. Out of like 1,200 units that were, were surveyed, there was only eight units vacant. That's incredible. It's yeah, incredible. It so you can find places like that. And, and so you see it, with a downturn, our, you know, maybe we go down to 92% in a market like that, or maybe even go, to, you know, go down lower. But 
if you have a strong market versus a market where the normal is 92% vacancy, you're going to drop a lot further than we are where we've got 98% vacancy, you know, and 98, yep. 99% vacancies are normal in St. George. I remember doing some digging in on Provo, Utah, and it had similar dynamics. They had so much, so much tech moving in, so many companies moving in. Yep. I mean, they're all like 25 to 28 year olds living there, all median house or median, like it was like $150,000. It was like insane. The only negative factor that was hitting them was that the number of available uh, multifamily buildings, I think were like over 200 units was like three. So I was like, the, one of the only dynamics was there was like a, lar- like a lower count of available buildings in the area um, for larger yep. housing. So yeah. guess what we're doing? We're actually doing a project in Provo too, but we're building. So yeah. we actually have a, a, a project in an opportunity zone that's a multi-phase project. We love Provo. Yep. And that, that project is right. The other thing that's great about Utah is the transportation that the state has committed to. Hmm. These are things you want to look for in a market. You want to look for the state, city, and county committing to development and committing to be, being business friendly. So the state has put a lot of money into the, the train the, the, I think it's called the Frontliner or Front Runner, the 80, 80 mile per hour bullet train that runs up and down wow. Utah. Very quiet. And, and then in Provo, they just installed, uh, just created a new bus system that goes all through Provo. You know, Provo has Brigham, Brigham Young University as well as UVU, so highly educated skill force, uh, workforce. And then this, so this bus system goes to all the universities, all of the malls, all of the retail. You can get anywhere. And guess how much it costs? I'm going to say free. Oh, wow. It's free. Yep. It's free. And the bus comes every seven minutes to every stop. So you don't have to be like, okay, I'm going to go wait for 45 minutes at the bus stop. Like, nope, just go to the bus stop. It'll be coming. Seven minutes. Um, So this, and this, this location that we have in Provo is actually transit oriented development. So it's connected to Provo station. So our residents will just be able to walk right into the train station and get on a train. So the you're, you're public, listening yeah, and you're, yeah, you're hearing the, the detail of what Anna's doing there. But even just thinking about that, like, is the city built out to face this growth? So I was, I, I was thinking of San Antonio, they, they have infrastructure built out to be able to carry it. But you look right up, you know, right up the road, there's Austin and they're overwhelmed and they have the traffic. And so, but exactly. it wasn't in their plan. It was in San Antonio's plan to build out for the future here, just like Utah's doing. But if you have a city right here, if it's got rapid growth, well, you, you do have to look on that level that Anna's looking at, like, is it set up for this growth? Is it set up or is it going to be at a point that all the roads are going to fall apart in five years and are going to be in a major bind with taxes? So yeah. yeah, yeah. And when you have a city built set up for growth, one of the reports you can look at to find out, well, which cities are set up for growth, look at the Milken Institute report Hmm. and it comes out every year. And actually for the last two years, Provo has been selected as the top city, the best performing city in the nation for all of these types of reasons. But you don't have to invest in Provo. I mean, you look at these types, this type of data and figure out where are the jobs going to, what, what cities are really performing and doing things. Now, I don't recommend, I know San Jose is like number two, but the cap rates are so low in San Jose. We, we, don't, we live in San, the San Jose metro, but we don't invest here. So unless there was like an opportunity zone, like new construction, and we can get the deal structure to work so it actually cash flows, that's the challenge, right, in, in California. But, um, but use those resources, look where tech's going, look where the dynamic, the, the movers and changers in the, in the future, the future is coming. Where are those jobs going? I love it. And looking at that, what is the, the next five-year horizon look like for Grow Capitas? What's the aim? What's the focus? Um, well, we're doing um, bigger and bigger projects, which we really like. I, I would say that we're going to be doing more development projects. We really enjoy our new construction and development projects. 
but we're not going to be leaving behind our value add because value add um, makes good money. So the, the new construction, you have to be in the exact right market, like we've been discussing. Value add, there's more markets you can be in um, that, you know, there's more forgiveness because it's already built, right? Sure. So um, we, I think that we'll be, you know, we've, we just closed eight deals in the last 12 months, um, 1,300 units. So I, I easily see us doing that again in the next 12 months, um, maybe even 10 deals um, in, the, in the next 12 months. So we're growing really, really fast. And, um, but we're also looking to protect from the recession and what will be our moves in the recession. So that, that will be, you know, your question about what are we doing in the next five years? We will be pivoting according to what the economy is telling us. We're, we not only track the micro data of neighborhoods and markets, we also track the macro data of, you know, the major indicators um, to try and really be aware of, of what's going on. And speaking of the major indicators, what about those interest rates, huh? Yep. It's a pretty so, interesting environment out there. Yeah. I mean, we've got some great things going for us in the, in the um, economy right now. So uh, I know that there are some shaky things happening, but so many good indicators right now at the same time. So I, I don't feel like the party's going to stop immediately. I mean, the trade wars are definitely a, um, a risk that's affecting us, but um, so many good things going on with all the other indicators. It's, it, we're in amazing shape, shape in so many meaningful ways. So doing eight projects over the last 12 months, is there, what, what are some of the, the metrics? Like, are, is there return metrics that you're focused on? What's the focus to, to give a green light for a project? Well, it always all starts with the market and neighborhood. So let's put that aside because we've sure. talked about it. Um, and then it depends on the asset class. If we're talking about value add. Yeah, let's, we'll stay with value add multifamily. Sure. The value add multifamily. If it's a, you know, a C class, then we're hoping to, uh, if it's a five-year project, we're hoping to double our investors' money in five years, um, deliver as close to, you know, nine, nine and a half percent cash on cash as possible. Um, if it's a B class, um, that is a less risky asset. So, and there's, uh, there's less cash flow to be had in those assets. So we might be delivering more like um, eight and a half percent, eight, eight percent cash on cash. The cash, the cash on cash might be lower. And the, you know, we might be talking about instead of doubling the money, you know, 1.8 times the money. Um, but we, we really always are striving for that double your money or triple your money in, in 10 years. So double in five, triple in 10. If we can get there, that's, that's our Goldilocks zone for every investment. Sometimes with a B investment, you can get there as well because of the appreciation um, that the, the market will be experiencing and the, uh, not the market, but the way we'll be able to force appreciation and sure. the, uh, the, the interplay with cap rates. So uh, that's a golden mark for us, double and triple. And so this has been highly beneficial for so many out there listening to the show. For you being most productive with your day, is, is there anything that you set up in your daily routine to really allow you to be able to conquer so much data in a day and not get just overwhelmed with spreadsheets in front of you? Um, well, I'm, I'm really big about exercising. I get up very early um, and uh, you know, walk the dog and I make sure I get my exercise in. Otherwise, I do not think I would be sane. Um, it really helps me focus yeah. you know, to be able to sit down at the desk all day and, and um, you know, I've got three screens around me at all time. I've, it's, we work in a very fast paced environment. We have a team of uh, nine virtual assistants in the Philippines, um, as well as our, our local team members, which is about numbering about four or five right now. Hmm. So very fast paced environment. Neil Bawa is no joke for a business partner. Let me tell you, we are all about it. So 
I have so many things happening all, all the time. So I've got to stay hydrated. It's like, I've got to prepare for a marathon every day. Get my, get my workout in, stay hydrated. We have very long days because we're, you know, I'm, I'm usually teaching webinars uh, or hosting webinars or speaking at meetups at the end of the day. So I, we, we're growing very fast because we're putting in the work and uh, we're enjoying it. And I think what you just said right there is we're growing really fast because we're putting in the work is the, yep. the words that need to resonate for people because everybody wants the growth, but you got to, you got to do the work. You just you yep. gotta put the work in and you know, it's long hours, but that's, if you love it, that's awesome. So good for you, Anna. This has been awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Jason. It's been amazing being here with you and uh, nice to get to know you. Good. So for people that want to reach out, hear more about you, hear more about Grow Capitalist, some of the webinars, what, what would be the best place to reach you? Well, growcapitalist.com is where we have our investors, where, where you can look at what's happening with our deals and deals that we have coming up. But we also have an education portal because some people want to learn how to uh, basically buy their own apartments. And so our education portal is multifamilyu.com, the letter U. And we teach a boot camp four times, so once every quarter. Uh, Neil is phenomenal. He loves to teach. That's actually his main passion is teaching. So he teaches the majority of the, the class. I teach the underwriting. Um, it's the boot camp is live three times a year via an e-boot camp format. And one time a year, it's um, in person. In uh, This year, it's in San Jose in September. Um, so multifamilyu.com is a great place to check out. And again, we have uh, free webinars that happen on a very regular basis. I host most of them. If people, we just had CoStar on for um, Atlanta as well as Dallas Market. Uh, we have syndication lawyers, we have um, financing people like Old Capital coming on, lots of great people contributing content, pitch free, um, just for you to learn. So you can just go there and look through our library of information and start learning. That's so amazing. Anna, thank you so much. This has been an incredible show. Really appreciate your time. Thanks. It's been great being here. Good. Well, this is Jason with the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. Huge thank you to Anna Myers for coming on the show and a huge thank you to you for listening. Have a great day now. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation Podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.